the priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, or make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, a widow or a divorced woman, a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a deficient, with a deficient de- defect in his eyes, in his sight, or itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings, since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy both of the most holy and the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane the sanctuary. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, we've been studying the high priest now and we've got... Three more weeks of this, including this one. And so, um, today we want to look at the character and the roles of the high priest. Some of the things that the high priest does. This is going to be two parts of the character and roles. Next week will be more roles and more character. So, today we're going to look at Leviticus. And this passage is intense. I hope in first read-through, you saw that the high priest must be perfect. There is no exception. He has to be perfect in every way. Indeed, we we jump to verse 10 to start because so important was this perfection that verses 1 through 9 is repeated in 10 through 15. It's not verbatim, but the same things are said. He, He has to be clean. He can't marry a woman who has been married before or in any way defiled at all, he has to be perfect. He has to be perfectly clean. And why? Because you cannot stand before God unless you are absolutely perfect. You 
cannot stand before God unless you are absolutely perfect. There is no hope for someone who does not have a high priest to do this. You cannot stand before God with any blemish at all. So we look here in verse 10, the priest who is chief among his brothers. Look at that first. What does that show us about the high priest? He is family with the people he goes before. He is the chief among brothers. Not the chief, not the master of the servants, not the boss, not the CEO. He is chief among family. All these other priests are relatives. All these other priests are relatives. It's the first thing to hold on to is that he is chief among brothers. second thing to look at here is the purity of this priest. Did you note, he has to be clean cut. He can't let his hair get wild. It has to be tamed and, and well kept. His clothes have to be pristine. They can't be torn. He can't tear his robes. He has to be clean cut. He can't even mourn. He can't even weep and mourn. Because death has no place where the high priest is. There's no death where the high priest goes. So he has to be clean cut, clean shaven, nice and neat, pristine, and dressed to the nines in his outfit perfectly, with no tears, no blemishes, and he can't go into a dead body. He can't mourn, he can't weep. So if his mother or father dies, he can't go in to be with them. He can't go bury them. He can't take them. He can't go have the closure of the body laying down. He has sacrificed that because it is so important that the high priest be alive. That there can't even be a touch of death on him in any way. He must be alive. So he, he can't be around dead bodies. He can't be around dead things. He can't mourn. That's the tearing of the robes. He can't tear his robes and mourn. Too holy. There's too much life for him to do that. Then he's not allowed, I hope you saw verse 12, he's not allowed to leave the sanctuary. He can't leave the sanctuary. And why? Because he might get dirty. He might bring something back in that's unholy, and it just reverses the entire process. He had to be so meticulous about his cleanliness and his righteousness and his holiness. And then he, he had this pure wife that he has to have here in verse, verse 13. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow, a divorced woman, a woman who's been defiled, a prostitute. These things he shall not marry, but he shall take a wife, take as his wife a virgin of his own people. He takes as a wife a virgin of his own people. Even his wife can't have a blemish. Even his wife can't have a mistake or an error or something wrong or sin anywhere in her. He is not allowed to have sin around him in any stretch of the imagination or with any thought. He must be perfect 
in every way. No one can stand before God unless they are absolutely perfect. No one can stand before God unless they are absolutely perfect. There is no hope for someone who does not have a high priest to do this. No one can stand before God unless they are absolutely perfect. And then he goes on there in verses 16 through 24, explaining that not even physical blemishes are allowed. Not even lame, brokenness. Not even a leg that's too long. Have you seen that? I had a friend in college who had to wear a special shoe because one leg was shorter than the other. Barely noticeable. But according to this text, that friend would not have been able to be in the presence of God. There's one provision made for them. Did you notice? One provision made for a lame, broken, blind, or hurt priest. Notice? They're allowed to eat the bread. They're allowed to eat the bread. That's it. That's the only provision they get. They can, they can eat the bread. Verse 22. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and of the holy thing. But he shall not go through the veil. He can eat the bread. In a minute, that's going to be really beautiful. Lame, broken, weak, can't come before God. No one can come before God unless they're perfect. Perfect in every way. So before we go any further, feel the gravity of that. Feel the gravity of God's holiness and the weight of that on yourself. Think about that for a moment. There is no way for you to get before God unless you are absolutely perfect in every way. A veil stands between you and Him. And even if you are a priest born of the line of Aaron, second in line, if there's a blemish, you can't go in. You get to eat the bread, but that's it. Nothing else. In other words, you're not going to starve, but you still can't see God. And you're a priest. You were born to that, and you can't do it. You were born, designed, and made so that you would see God. You were born made to see God. You were born made to see God, and you can't. You can't even fulfill your very birthright. Indeed, so great is this that not even your offspring can have blemishes. You must be perfect in every way. And there's this interesting phrase there in verse at the end of verse 15 and the end of verse 23. For I am Jehovah Makodesh Kim. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You are to be perfect in every way. To never make a mistake. To be absolutely clean. And then to remember that I am the Lord who makes you clean. No one else. So we have our first hint at redemption. We have our first hint at redemption in the text. 
when he says, I am, depending if you're educated in German Hebrew translation or uh, Western Hebrew translation, Jehovah or Yahweh, Makodesh Kim. Same name, just Jehovah, Yahweh, that's the I am name. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the one who sanctifies you. The very first point here is that you can't be perfect, but God is the one who makes you clean and sanctifies you. God is the one who makes you clean and sanctifies you. You can't fix it. It is God who does it. So with all those things in mind, the chief priest is chief among brothers, the high priest is chief among brothers, that he has to be pure, that there's no mourning or death allowed, that he's not allowed to be around dead bodies, that he's ever present with the Lord, he's not allowed to leave the sanctuary, he's always in the Lord's presence, and that he has to have a perfectly pure wife. With those things in mind, let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Just for a minute. John chapter 15, verse 15 through 16, Jesus calls you friend. He calls you his friends whom he chose. John chapter 1 says, he came to his own people. He came to his own people. And he calls you friends. In Romans, he calls you fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. In Galatians, he says, you've been adopted by God. You are brother with Christ, adopted into the kingdom of God. Jesus is chief among brothers, not master to slave, not CEO to employee, chief among fellow heirs of the kingdom of God. You are family to him. Second, the purity of the priest He has to be clean cut with no sin and perfectly dressed. And there is no one greater adorned in the kingdom of heaven than Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, lived a sinless life. Sinless life. Though Hebrews tells us tempted in every way as we are, did not give in to temptation and lived a sinless, righteous life before God. Further, he lives in perfect purity. Second, First Peter chapter two verse twenty-two says he had no sin. First John three five says in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. In Second Corinthians five twenty-one, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ. No, no sin. He lived a perfect life and came before the Father on your behalf, carrying all your sinful behaviors before God. He was righteous. And when Jesus meets death, the high priest can't meet death. When Jesus meets death, he overcomes it. Did you notice? When he meets death, It's no longer there. He walks into a room where a dead girl is. The great high priest walks into the room where the dead girl is and says, Guys, she's only sleeping. And they go, This child is dead. And he takes the child by the hand and says, Talitha Kum, 
Get up, child. And the child rises. When Lazarus is dead in the tomb, Jesus comes. Lazarus, come out of there. Why? Because the life that is present in our high priest is so powerful that death cannot subsist where he is. He is life. So when Jesus meets death, it becomes life. And death is no longer. Just think about that for a minute. The high priest had to be so perfect he couldn't be around death. Jesus is so perfect that when he's around death, it suddenly becomes life. He was to be ever-present with the Father, not allowed to leave the sanctuary, ever-present. Jesus, what does Jesus say? I and the Father are one. I say nothing except what the Father says to me. I communicate only what the Father says. I and the Father are one. He proclaims this righteousness that he is ever-present with the Father, that his mind and heart are in tune with God at every second of the day. Every moment they are one. Then this pure wife thing comes up. The high priest has to marry a pure wife. Now, we, we're the wife, just in case. You, if you didn't know the analogy, church is the wife of Jesus. We're not pure. But we are. Because he's the Lord who sanctifies us. And all of our wickedness and all of our sin and all of our despair was taken and put on him. And he took it to the cross and killed it. And all of your constant struggles to be gentle, kind, loving, meek. All of those things. To bear forth the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To bear forth those fruits. All of our failings to do that are wrapped up and put on Jesus. And He has taken them to the cross. And you are made pure. He doesn't go make an exception for you. That's not what the kingdom of God does. What the kingdom of God does is take the broken, the lame, the sick, the dying, the sinful, and make them holy. You are holy before the Lord. And why? Because He is Jehovah, Makodesh Kim, who sanctifies you. How beautiful is this? That we utterly reject the kingdom of God from birth. And Jesus takes us and says, I know you're unclean. I know you're dirty. I make you clean. I make you pure. This is very apt understanding in our purity culture wars that are going on right now with what we prayed for earlier where the bastions of purity are beginning to say, that was wrong, and I don't even believe anymore. And there are some who are standing for righteousness and holiness saying, no, this is apt. You need to understand that you're not pure because you did something right. 
You're pure because Jesus took your impurities and made you holy and made you his and made you righteous. And you stand before the Father clean. You stand before God clean. And no amount of your behavior is going to change that. God has redeemed and rescued and saved. He is a gracious God. And Jesus is a great high priest who has rescued you. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we see this high priest character has to be utterly perfect in every way. And then we've got these things the high priest was responsible for. Jesus, remember, exemplifies all these things. I've got four of them for you today. If you jump back to Exodus chapter 27, verses 20, 20 through 21. Exodus 27, verses 20 and 21 says this. You shall command the people of Israel, and they shall bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that the lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout the generations by the people of Israel. So outside of the the Holy of Holies, the the, uh, inner tabernacle area, outside of that there was a lamp. And that lamp was to be kept burning all night so that the light never went out. The light was always on. You could always see. So they were responsible, the high priest was responsible for maintaining the light of the temple and ensuring that the oil for the lamp did not run out. He was to continuously tend this thing. So Jesus gets that in John chapter 8 when he's in the temple court and he looks out and he sees, you can visualize him seeing the lamp that they're picking up for the day. They're moving it for the day. They're picking it up and it's this big lamp. We're not talking a small one. This is a big menorah shaped lamp that's probably 8, 10 feet, somewhere in there. Size of a basketball goal. Big flames on top of it. That would light up the entire uh, courtyard. And he had it out there, and, and Jesus, as he's talking, looks up and sees it and goes, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light. I'm the one that keeps this place lit. I'm the fire. And he proclaims, I'm the one responsible for you being able to see. For you being able to see God. For you being able to see to come into worship at any moment before the Lord. In the darkest days, He is light. There is no darkness in Him. He is light. He's responsible for keeping the light going. Second, in Leviticus chapter 4 uh, and, verse, and chapter 21, there's mention of sacrifice. And He has to make these burning sacrifices and burn food before the Lord. So his first, one of his responsibilities was the light in the temple so that the light of God would never go out. And Jesus proclaims, I am that light. I'm the one who keeps the light going. 
And then the second thing is the altar of burnt food. Basically, I'm not being trite, barbecue master. He has to take the sacrifices and cook them and then feed the other priests. They ate that food. It was a feast. Worship is designed to be a feast. God seems to care about eating. Anytime eating is mentioned in the Bible, it's important. Think about all the meals that you know of in the Bible. There's not one unimportant meal. Every single one of them has extreme significance. Even the casual ones. The most casual one being they broke bread in each other's houses day by day. Early church ate together in each other's houses all the time. It's what they did. It's who they are. It was a defining mark of their character. The same way, Jesus, our great high priest, makes atonement for the people by offering his life and giving them the bread. John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. You must eat me. Remember that thing back in Leviticus that we read where it was the blemish broken? They don't get anything. They don't, they're not allowed to do anything, but they are allowed to eat the bread. That's important. Jesus Christ says, I am the bread. I am the bread of the presence of God, you eat and take in of me. You take in of me. I'm the one that satisfies. I'm the one that fills. And guess what? You might be broken and beaten beyond all measure. You might be utterly destroyed. But you can take the bread. You can take the bread. Christ made provision even before purifying. God is a gracious God. There is much to discuss there. In Leviticus, he says, I, he says, you will make atonement for the people bringing offerings, burnt offerings before the Lord. John chapter 2, verse 2, 4, verse 10, and 3, verse 5, Jesus claims this is him. He's bringing the offering before the Lord. Then you have the high priest as, uh, Redeemer Defender, who was in charge of defending those who came for help. In Numbers chapter 35, verse 25, you have this rule of the manslaughterer. So if somebody killed somebody, they could run to one of these cities of redemption. There were cities of redemption that they were allowed to run to. There were specific cities, and when they entered those cities, they were proclaiming either, one, either I'm innocent and I need protection, or... They're proclaiming, I have done it, but I am repentant. And I didn't, it was not, I, I, I am repentant, forgive me. And they would run to these cities of redemption. And in the city, they would be protected as long as the high priest lived. So as long as the high priest lived, they could stay in that city for protection. And the high priest acted as the defender of the people. So no one could kill the manslayer, the murderer, because the high priest was protecting him. I tell you, we are all guilty of murder. Jesus says that if you have been angry with your brother, or if you have called him a fool, 
you are guilty of murder in your heart. That anger that wells up in you, that's not holiness. And believe me, I know, there have been times when I have looked in the mirror and been so overcome with anger that I have seen somebody in that mirror that looks entirely different than me. And it is a terrifying reality to know that anger builds in the, in the soul and corrodes my ability to find joy. And yet, yet, I have a high priest and a, and a king who defends me to whom I can release my irrational, sinful anger, who will forgive and protect me from death. Because I know I deserve death. I deserve it. And yet, because Jesus Christ is my high priest, and guess what? He never dies. He doesn't die anymore. He died and rose again, (laughs) overcoming death. Death has no place where he is. And I am with him. And so that that sin that bears down in my soul, that's corrosive, that wants to own me, that sin is defeated in Jesus. And my high priest will never die. So I will always be redeemed and never have to fear the retribution of that sin. I never have to fear. Because God has redeemed and rescued. And Jesus Christ is alive. In Revelation 12 Verses 10 through 11, he will show this physically as he defends his people in the end. 1 John 1, 9, he will show this now as he defends you before him. We confess our sins, he forgives of all unrighteousness. We confess our sins as a part of who we are, and he forgives because that's who he is and makes us righteous. Finally, we see the high priest rules as co-governor alongside the governor. This is particularly obvious in Haggai when the high priest rules alongside Zerubbabel. And it's the high priest and Zerubbabel ruling the people and acting as governor for them. Jesus Christ is our governor. He is our king. He is our ruler. And we submit To him, and what a gracious ruler he is. As high priest, he rules over us, offering judgments where they need to be judged, offering forgiveness always, offering grace always. He is a great and glorious high priest who serves these functions incredible. Just for a moment, think about this king. This king who by by divine right could just make you do what he wants. And instead he puts on the high priest's robe and bears you before the Father. And takes your punishment in your place. On the cross. 